a day late and a dollar short due to some technical issues, which is quite ironic considering the what is that about subject. But here comes words, wobbles and wisdom, which should have been the 21st of September, but is now the 22nd of September. But hey, better late than never. What is that about? Oi, Frankie, wait your turn. Whose side are you on anyway? Hello there, this is Words, Wobbles and Wisdom with Anne-Marie Miles. Lovely to have you back with me again this week. Our subject is going to be not going back. Never going back to that place that you absolutely did not want to be. The story that comes to mind when I think about not wanting to go back to horrible places is the story of when we stayed in a seaside house in the southeast of Ireland some years ago. I think it was called Sea View or something like that. And in fairness, when we pulled up outside it, there was a beautiful view of the sea. We probably should have just stayed in the car. Some other family had arrived ahead of us and some of my young nieces and nephews were there and I could hear my sister calling to them, make sure you put your shoes on before you come back inside. And I was thinking, no, did she mean take your shoes off before you come back inside? No. The kids had to make sure they had shoes on coming into the place because it was filthy. I mean, you could not walk around it in your bare feet. When we looked at the carpet, we weren't sure whether we should hoover it or feed it. It was just awful. And we christened the place Minging Mansions. There was a lovely uh, lean-to conservatory at the back of the house. We would have spent more time there if, one, there had not been five fridge freezers lining the back wall don't ask because we didn't know and two if the window of the bathroom didn't open out onto this conservatory so we didn't spend a lot of time in there in the kitchen there were more fridge freezers all the doors were jammed open with thick wads of newspaper and they all needed a good clean now the kitchen was very well stocked with every pot and pan you could think of and on the on a rack near the cooker was a load of kind of utensils and all sorts of stuff my sister had banned the children from even looking at this stuff It was all filthy and rusty. I mean, we reckon the cheese grater had been used to scrape paint off a tractor. It was just minging. Minging was the only word that we could think of to call it. One of the favourite parts of the day was refilling the electricity meter. So Ireland had gone over to the euro and this electricity meter took old Irish 50p coins, which we had to buy from the landlord. So, you know, those Chinese acrobats that would all stand on each other's shoulders. When we'd get the kids to do that, we'd we'd pile the kids up on top of each other's shoulders so that the kid up the top could reach this electricity meter and pop the 50 P's in. And then we would just have to go and buy more and the electricity ran out. And on the last couple of days, one of the kids noticed that the door of the little coin collection pot on the electricity meter wasn't locked. So we used the same few 50p's for the last few days of the holidays. He just kept he just kept taking them out of the pot, popping them back in, take them out again, pop them back in. So it probably wasn't the right thing to do. But we justified our actions to the kids by telling them it was some way towards compensation for all the fridges and the dirt that was in the place. Now, OK, so I know what you're thinking. You know, that's our all very fine. But, you know, when are we going to get on with the story? But my visit to Minging Mansions, my memory of that does actually have something in common with my life as a morbidly obese person. I have no idea why we stayed there when it was just so awful to be there. Now, I look back on it and 
I have such funny memories of that time. And, you know, the kids, you can imagine, the kids didn't even notice. We were right beside the sea. They didn't care. As long as they had shoes on their feet, they could run around. We had games and I think we watched a a video or a DVD or something in the evening. Took the kids to the beach, went for chips, you know. So we actually have some really funny memories. And when we think about it, it was, I mean, the whole thing was just hilarious. It was one of those things where if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. But would I go back there? I mean, if somebody was to come to me and say, Amory, here's two weeks free in Mingan Mansions or Sea View or whatever it's called. You've got two free weeks down there. Would I go back there? Not on your life. There is no way I would go back there. Why would I go back there? It's absolutely awful. And even though some of my memories of it are funny, not all of my memories of it are dreadful because there were some moments of humour and it was lovely to spend time with some of my young nieces and nephews. I would never go back there. Why would you go back to a place that was just so awful to be in? Now, I'm actually recording this in Western Supermare. I'm in a hotel room that has a beautiful view of the sea. It's The place is spotless. Uh, I haven't asked to inspect their cheese grater, but I'm sure the cheese grater in the restaurant is gleaming. And when you're in a beautiful place with spotless cutlery, you wonder how you could ever, ever settled for somewhere with a rusty cheese grater. But that's what I did for years. I spent years in an awful place. That place was in my head. It was a place where I was fat and ugly and guilty and worthless. I was in absolute despair. I stopped looking at myself in the mirror. I stopped thinking about my weight. I stopped talking about my weight. And only in private conversations with God did I ever let on that I wanted to be different. I used to think that only God knew that I didn't want to be this way anymore. But of course, other people knew. Of course, other people knew that I was desperate, but I wasn't allowing them to help me or to speak into it. I'm in a really different place now. I'm still overweight. I still struggle with, with food. I Even today, by the sea and on the pier and there's rock and ice creams and all sorts of things that I could have and shouldn't have. The battle for me is about who I believe I am and what value I place on myself. You know, this flabby Irish compulsive eater who was passionately loved by God. Imagine that. I was morbidly obese, eating like a crazed animal, lying about it, hiding it and still loved by God. Such an amazing, amazing truth. These things are hard for me to talk about. And for those who know me well, it may be hard to listen to. But the only way to get out of somewhere like Minging Mansions is to, is to decide to leave it. My story is about being in a terrible place, but it's also a story of a great escape. You know, I, I hope it encourages every plump kid who was never picked for the team, every pudgy girl who was not kissed at a disco, every fatso who got pushed around. But it's about so much more than that. I mean, I fall into all of those above categories, so I get it. But I want to leave those categories behind. I don't want to be defined by them. The other hard truth to deal with is that I did this to myself. Nobody force fed me Haribo jellies. Nobody had to. I'd have cut your arm off for a bag of Haribo jellies. I wasn't tied to a chair, unable to move. I allowed myself to get to almost 24 stone and chose not to move. I could say, yeah, I've got 
great reasons for that. I've got some really sad stuff that's happened. I've shared about it before. And you might say, well, of course you ate seven Kit Kats, Anne-Marie. Of course you did. So would I if I felt as sad as you did. Thanks for that, by the way. But, but being huge is hard. And in my case, in many ways, it was self-inflicted, not due to some unfortunate medical condition. And if that's the case, then it's wrong. Well, it's wrong for me anyway. And what I'd say is, and this is as much to myself as anybody else, even though I've stalled and I have, I've been roughly the same weight now for most of lockdown. And I'd love to blame lockdown on it, but I can't really. I have been stuck for most of that time. I have decided I'm not going back. I am not going back. If I never lose another pound again in my life, I am not going back. I'm not going back to sitting on the sofa hour after hour. I'm not going back to eating like a mad woman and trying to medicate my sadness and medicate my depression with food and sugar. I'm not going back there. I mean, my journey is a spiritual one as well as a physical one. It's an emotional one as well. It's a holistic and I... When I say holistic, there's a W in front of the H, you know, it's the whole of me, my body, my spirit, my mind, everything. And if you want to come with me on this journey, I know some of you have been since the first episode of the podcast, and I really appreciate that. But if you want to come with me on this journey, I did mention last week that I was happy to set up a group. I I have had some response to that. Happy to set up a private group where maybe we could encourage one another and share some of each other's little wins and cheer each other on if we're struggling a bit. I've said it before, I'm not a counsellor, I'm not a mentor. But if we had a small group of people who just need a little bit of accountability and a little bit of support, I'm really happy to set up some sort of private Facebook group. But the main point of what I'm saying today is decide that you're not going to go back, even if you've 10 stone to lose and you've only lost 10 pound or you've two stone to lose and you've only lost two pound. Decide that you're not going back. And I don't mean decide that you're never going to put a pound on again. Inside, in your heart and in your head, not going to go back to Mingan Mansions, never going to go back. Make that decision today and let's move forward, all of us together. Let's move forward and kick this thing in the butt and cheer each other on at the same time. Sometimes I share some of my writing about weight loss and I'd like to read the kind of opening page of a book that I've been working on for a long time. (laughs) And um, I'm not sure whether I'll ever get to the stage where it's finished. This is a memory that I have of way before I ever started really addressing my weight issues. So uh, let me share this with you. Obesity is a huge problem for our health service, said the slender woman on the TV betraying a smirk at her dry pun. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Shut up, you smug b- I shouted at her as I turned the television off. I flung the remote control across the sofa and sat fuming. I was sick of it, sick to death of hearing how my quota of cheese toasties and battered sausages had led to the crumbling of the National Health Service. I suppose us fatsos will be sent outside next, I shouted at the black screen banished forever to eat our dinners with the smokers, cowering under a canopy, eating pumpernickel soup with our coats on. Can't wait till they perfect how to vape a raspberry roulade. There was no one in the black screen of the TV to respond. No one except me. My grey shadow filled it. I turned my eye from the silhouette and fumed some more. The subject made me so angry. Mostly with myself.
After another few minutes, I took my dinner plate, knife and fork into the kitchen and put them in the dishwasher. I walked over to the fridge, opened the door, then slammed it shut. It really annoys me, Lord, I said, trying to see past the ceiling to heaven. What am I going to do? How long have I been like this? Why am I like this? I looked at my stomach and I thumped it. I hate you, I said, thumping my stomach again. Hate, hate, hate you. I walked to the window and looked at my reflection. What am I going to do with her, Lord? Seriously, what am I going to do with her? I have asked and asked you to help me and nothing is happening. Nothing is changing. I walked back to the fridge, opened the door and closed it again. Then I opened the freezer, took out the bag of chips and put the oven on for the second time that evening. Here's a quote from the Bible, Exodus 3 verses 7 to 8. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I wrote the the piece a few years ago and it was an example of one of the many days that I felt completely imprisoned by my addiction to food or my addiction to comfort or (laughs) something. I'm not really sure what it was. But what it reminds me is that the mental trap that I was in was so much more powerful than the food trap. I think the food trap was really just a symptom of what was going on inside me. So when I talk about not wanting to go back, I don't want to go back to that place in my head. I don't want to go back to that desperation. That's where I don't want to go back. Being 24 stone was a nightmare, but the nightmare was inside me, inside my head. And I am never going back. So now it's time for... What is that about? (laughs) What is that about? And this week's has been submitted by Katie. Katie, thanks so much for sending me the message and thank you for allowing me to mention your name. Kate's Potates, as she is known on social media. And Katie has sent in her. What is that about? And it is when you're waiting ages for a bus home and two come along at the exact same time. Oh, yes. Very simple thing, very common thing, but very very annoying. It reminds me of, you know, like I keep a phone charger upstairs and then a phone charger downstairs and a phone charger in my lady's chamber. No, sorry, wrong wrong story. Um, a phone charger in the car. And then one day I might take the phone charger out of the car to lend it to somebody. And then I, you know, don't put it back in the car. And I'm driving down the road on a day where I haven't charged my phone up and I need to use the Google Maps and it's on low power mode at 10% power. Oh, that really annoys me. Or I lend my keys to somebody on the very day that Rich isn't here and then he's gone with his keys. I don't have my keys so I can't get in to the church or I can't open the gates because there's no keys and that 
you know what it reminds me of? You know that Alanis Morissette song where she says it's like 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife? I think we can safely say that all this stuff falls under the category of Murphy's Law. You know, whatever can go wrong will go wrong. The events that conspire against us to drive us mad. And I did a little bit of research on Murphy's Law after Kate's Potates sent me this message. And I read this article about Murphy's Law and I couldn't believe it. Basically, this guy was saying, you should expect Murphy's Law to happen because most of the time it does. When you really, really, really need your phone, it will be almost out of power and you'll have no way of powering up. When you're in a real, 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 real big hurry, you'll be standing like Katie at a bus stop for ages and then two buses will come along at the exact same time. And this guy was saying that Murphy's Law happens more often than not. When you really need something to happen, it doesn't. When you really do not want something to happen, it does. And this guy says that you should expect it and you should plan for it. So you should expect Murphy's Law to happen and be ready for it and have your mindset ready for it to happen. And then you can, you know, turn the whole thing into a positive. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know, I've been talking a lot about mindset and about how my, how my own mindset has changed and how I've been trying to think more positively. And I just can't square that up with the idea of expecting Murphy's Law to happen every single time. Like basically, isn't that, isn't it the same type of thinking as, you know, expect nothing and everything you get as a bonus? That's the way I used to be. I used to expect nothing good would happen, that I wouldn't be successful, that I wouldn't lose the weight I wanted to lose, that I wouldn't do the things I wanted to do. And if I expect that nothing will happen and something good happens, well, you know, it's a bonus then, isn't it? And I just can't, there's no way I can square that Murphy's Law thinking with the way I want to change my own mindset. And I know we've gone a little bit astray from um, from Katie's What Is That About? But I want to add, yeah, I, I absolutely, it is totally frustrating when you really, really, really need something to happen and it doesn't happen. But I also think that joining Murphy's Law in Room 101, as we call it, should be the attitude of expect nothing and everything you get as a bonus. That should be in room 101 as well. Because seriously, Frankie. What is that about? Absolutely. I totally agree with you. <laughs> so I'm off. Time for me to go. So really great to have you listening in with me. Thank you so much for the comments. Thank you so much for getting in touch. Thank you to the people who've bought me a coffee. All of the information you need is on annemariemiles.co.uk podcast information, buy me a coffee information, connect with me on social media. You have a little think about what I mentioned last week about the possibility of starting a, a, an encouraging community. Get in touch if you're interested in that. And I look forward to sharing some more words, wobbles and wisdom with you next week. Bye bye.